was oh the jungle VIP. I reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I wanna be a Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's gang at patreon.com slash mouse madness. Chris. 2021 was a fantastic year, and we talked about some extremely fun stuff, some very weird stuff, uh, some maybe sad stuff, some beautiful <laughs> stuff. It was just a full-on, you know, the best of the best of Mouse Madness so far. And from best Disney Channel games athlete to the saddest, saddest Disney boy, we're going back to our roots here to start off 2022. Yeah, uh, this podcast was kind of born as an offshoot of sports and yeah. kind of lives at the intersection of Disney and sports. And so in a way, this, this bracket feels very overdue for the mouse madness podcast. Um, it's, it's the best Disney sports movie bracket. And, and there's a ton of sports movies uh, that Disney has made over the years. Um, and to help us out, we are welcoming back one of our first ever mouse madness guest hosts going all the way back to the best mighty duck bracket. It's Kyle Reeves. Kyle, thanks for joining us after a, a couple of years yeah. almost. <laughs> well, thanks for having me back, guys. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. Um, no, really happy to be back and really excited to, to jump into this, uh, this bracket with you guys. Yeah, so, so last time you were on the show, we were talking all about the Ducks, the Ducks exclusively, and, and the Ducks have returned. <laughs> again <laughs> to the Disney sports bracket <laughs> best Disney sports movie bracket uh, so we'll talk about them some more but there's a ton of other sports movies on here so uh Kyle you were saying that you own Angels in the Outfield on DVD uh so you had no problem getting around the the, the lack of availability for that movie <laughs> on streaming uh how many of these Disney sports movies do you already have in your collection I've got a handful um Angels in the Outfield, as you mentioned, that was a uh, that was a pandemic. I missed baseball purchase. Whoa! Uh, nice. Buying buy all of the baseball movies that I could get my hands on, um, so picked up that one. I've always had the Ducks on DVD. Uh, cool Runnings has unironically been my favorite movie since uh, I can remember watching <laughs> movies. And Remember the Titans <laughs> is just an all time classic, so you have to have that one. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I'll just I'll just say it up front. This is the first time I've ever seen Remember the Titans. Oh, wow. wow. Ever was for this bracket. I mean, I think that I've seen bits and pieces of it through, you know, substitute teachers in middle school that showed us, you know, like the first 30 <laughs> minutes before we went to recess or something. But I hadn't watched it all the way through. So that was a journey for me. First time ever. That's so funny not to like spoil my bit on Remember the Titans, but that was the first thing I wrote down was like, I feel like I watched this movie five times in middle school and then never watched it again. Um, but wow, I'm interested to, to hear your take on that when we get there. But before we get into sports movies, let's talk uh, Spoonfuls of Sugar. Kyle Skinner, what are you drinking in Oakland? We are recording this the first week back to work after the holidays. And let me tell you, it has been a week. So I was hoping to come up with some sort of fancy sports-related cocktail to kick off this new year, to kick off this first bracket of 2022. 
and I didn't have time. So what I happened to have in my fridge very randomly was some Stella Artois. <laughs> so I'm just drinking a Stella. Okay. I feel like you know, this is a, a popular item at, say, hockey games. Uh, pe- right, they're like yeah. Stellas are in the big boy cans everywhere. Yeah, so I yeah. guess I can connect it that way that, you know, I'm sitting here in my uh, Jesse Hall Mighty Ducks jersey drinking a Stella Artois. I, it's, it'll do for this for this All round. Right. Uh, Chris, what you got? Uh, I mean, I'm like you. I'm, uh, the last two days we've been back at work have just been like off the chain. Absolute insanity, especially when you work in baseball, when like those two weeks are, are, are a true like no one's working. Yep. It's not like football. It's not like hockey, not like baseball where there's still things going on. Like everyone just pieces out basically. <laughs> uh, so so when you when you get back into it, it's like, all right, uh, spring training's in six weeks. So what's up? Um, so I just went into the fridge and pulled out whatever I had. And this is uh, leftover from like a beer hall that I made when I first moved here. It's a hard cider uh, from Two Towns Cider House in Oregon. The Maid Marion oh. Blackberry Hard Cider. And, and I had uh, an apple one from the same like brewery earlier and I didn't like it. But this blackberry one's actually super good. So I would absolutely recommend it's from oregon uh i think we decided it was like eugene or something okay anyways uh kyle reeves what do you got today well i didn't want to get too fancy on you guys here so uh, i went with a classic uh purified water with uh, a little bit of mio fruit punch in it Ooh, well, you gotta stay hydrated when we're talking gotta about stay sports hydrated movies. absolutely um, as kyle skinner said he's wearing his a Jesse Hall Mighty Ducks jersey. I'm wearing my uh, Mighty Ducks Heritage Edition Adidas jersey from a couple of years ago. Kyle Reeves is rocking the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, the old Belichick gray hoodie. And, uh, <laughs> and yo, I'm ready to talk some sprots. Yeah, ready man. to talk some sprots. Yeah, let's get into it, Chris. Uh, but before that, you know, we had to find some folks to give us our bracket of 16. Uh, and we ranked them all up, and these submissions came from who? Oh, so like this supply chain crisis has been going on for since the pandemic began, and it only seems like it's getting progressively worse. Right. And Which is interesting considering like how long it's been since that shutdown happened. Um, and, and it's affecting everything. And, and the one area we're seeing it affect in a really interesting way is Disney Parks merchandise. Yeah. There was a great Reddit conversation a couple of days ago about uh, what's happening at Disney parks. And basically the merch teams are just opening whatever boxes come in the mail that day and they are forced to put whatever it is on the shelf. So they'll, they'll like open up some like uh, stuffed animal Mickey Mouse pumpkins from Halloween that never arrived. And they're like, whatever, put it <laughs> out, throw it up there. Someone uh, will buy it. And so we, so we had the intern stand outside the Emporium on Main Street. Had them stand outside the world of Disney store and hit up some sad merch hounds. Uh, Cause you know, those merch hounds are always looking for some good merch and you know, they, they be sad lately. Cause there's not yeah. that much, that's not much, that much good merch out there. So we asked them, we said, what is the best Disney sports movie? And we've got a, a field of 16 really interesting movies with a lot to talk about. Not as I mentioned earlier, there are a ton of sports movies that Disney has made over the years, so not everything could make it onto this bracket. So we have a few that missed the dance. 
Kyle Skinner, what are what are some Disney sports movies that missed the dance for you? Not in our field of 16. Yeah, for me, I mean, there's so many Disney movies. And off the top, off the top, I will say that Airbud is not included in this because we did some research as we got these responses back from this demographic. And Airbud was not produced as a Disney film right off the top. This was a a just an independent film studio that later got the distribution or gave the distribution rights to Disney and Disney slapped its name on it. So Airbud films, they're out. Sorry about <laughs> it. Um, but for me, a surprising one, and maybe it's because there are so many, there's a similar powerhouse to this film uh, in Remember the Titans, but it's Glory Road. Glory Road was about the University of Texas El Paso team uh, that put out an all black starting lineup for the first time in NCAA history. And so it's just kind of that, you know, racial tension story in sports and how sports can help alleviate a lot of that tension uh, in communities and, you know, lead to understanding between in the at that time, uh, blacks and whites. And so I just think that that was such a well done film. It was also at the same time or around the same time as like Coach Carter. There was like a lot of basketball movies that were coming out specifically uh, in the mid 2000s. So I'm not surprised that it fell off, but I think it's definitely worthy of a spot on this bracket, especially considering some of the lower seeds that we are going to be talking about. Uh, Chris, what are some for you? Uh, One of them for me is eight below. There are are a surprising number of Disney sled dog movies out there. And eight below, I think is, is one of the better ones. I would have loved an opportunity to talk about Cuba Gooding Jr. at length. I don't know about you, Kyle, but it seems like every single friend of mine who lives in Los Angeles has a story about seeing Cuba Gooding Jr. at a bar and being totally like blackout drunk. <laughs> it sounds like him. Um, and then, of course, there's like dozens and dozens of decoms that are sports themed. Yeah. And we could do an entire bracket on different sports decoms. Movies like Brink did not make this bracket. Movies like Johnny Tsunami did not make this bracket. Double Teamed, Luck of the Irish, uh, High School Musical. Yeah. Like, there are so many uh, decoms with sports implications. And so there are a couple that, that squeaked through onto this bracket. But, um, but, but obviously, uh, it's, it's its own beast. Kyle Reeves, any for you that missed the dance? Uh, any love for D3, which did not make it on here? Absolutely love the D3. Um, not going to say that it doesn't deserve to be on here. There's two Ducks movies on there already. Uh, it would get a little bit populated in a field of 16, so I understand. I'm hurt, but I understand. Uh, another one, this one you know, didn't come out as a Disney movie, but it recently joined the rings as, uh, you know, when, when they purchased uh, all the different Fox entities. Rookie of the Year. Oh, uh, great movie. 90s sports oh. movie. I understand why it didn't make it, but... I had to mention it. That's in like my top three favorite sports movies of all time. Like that is such a great baseball film. <laughs> I when we talk about the rookie, I got a whole okay. baseball movie rant, and okay. uh, we'll circle back to rookie. This okay, year. <laughs> but it's time, y'all. It's time. We got sixteen great Disney sports movies to talk about. Let's unveil the list. Let's cue that dramatic music, and away we go. Release the Quacken. Sticking it out at the number one spot is The Mighty Ducks. 
Rushing in from the left side strong side into the second seed is Remember the Titans. Most people say they know they can't believe that the number three seed is Cool Runnings. <laughs> oh, beautiful. You can't see me, but I'm waving my arms right now for the number four seed. It's Angels in the Outfield. Good as gold at the number five seed is D2, the Mighty Ducks. Looking like a bunch of monkeys trying to hump a football at the number six seed is Miracle. White knuckling its way to the seventh seed is Invincible. Throwing straight fire out the pen at the eighth seed is the Rookie. Escalating quickly into the number nine seed is the Big Green. Fat shaming the children across the world at the 10 seed is Heavyweights. Getting down and dirty at the 11 spot is Motocrossed. Serving us ambitious CGI at the number 12 seed is the greatest game ever played. Chess Queen! Coming in at number 13 is the Queen of Katwe. Turn off the Irish coffee scissorp at the 14 seed is the love bug. Talk about mama drama at the number 15 seed is Ice Princess. And just looking like an ass at the 16 seed <laughs> is Gus. Kyle Reeves, this is quite a quite a bracket. Like I don't even know what adjective to use to describe this. Um, but are there any matchups here that you are looking forward to getting into in this first round? Uh, I think the eight nine, the rookie and the big green. I think that could be a uh, a slightly contentious matchup, um, as well as invincible and heavyweights. The the eight nine, the seven ten. Uh, both those are interesting pairings for me. All right. Well. Without further ado, because we know how these movie brackets go, we can start talking. So we are going to hop right into it. Chris, I'm going to give you the floor. Lead us off with this number one, Mighty Ducks versus the number 16, Gus. Mighty Ducks. Everybody knows Mighty Ducks. We know it. I don't think Mighty Ducks requires any introduction. It is an absolute juggernaut here at the one seed. Then we got Gus. (laughs) Y'all might not know what Gus is. Um, this is a movie that I, I like came across multiple times in like searching for other things on Disney Plus. And, and like it's got this weird thumbnail that is Don Knotts making like a really stupid face on like a football field and there's like a donkey in the background. Yep. Um, and I thought it was a horse racing movie or something like that. Uh, just in looking at like the thumbnail <laughs> since Disney Plus... Uh, debuted so um i was excited to finally be able to hit play on gus to talk about this this alleged sports movie uh don knotts if y'all y'all don't know don knotts he uh was a comedian from like the 50s 40s and 50s and was famous uh for the andy griffith show yep and my family grew up watching this don knotts movie called the ghost and mr chicken it was like a Halloween comedy where Don Knotts goes into this haunted house and like spends the night and gets scared a lot or something. <laughs> and like as like a five-year-old kid, I thought it was really funny. So I was like, dude, I get to see some more Don Knotts. Great uh, physical comedy actor, Don yeah. Knotts. And by the way, Don Knotts, the pride of Morgantown, West Virginia. Wow, this really? Man, this man has a bronze statue on Don Knotts Boulevard what? in Morgantown. Damn. Uh, so I have a picture from a, a couple summers ago of me with the Don Knotts statue. <laughs> Shout out West Virginia. 
when we were talking about parades, uh, you used the word fever dream to describe, um, I think it was the totally mini parade or maybe the goofy, uh, goof, yeah, goof, goof, goofy all around the world or whatever. His yeah. Parade was. Uh, Gus feels like a fever dream to me. Thousand percent. There are so many, there are so many, so many things that happen in this movie that like they happen and then the movie just keeps going and then you, your brain doesn't fully like process what just happened. And then it's all, but it's already the next scene. So you go, this movie just feels like a series of vignettes, like that has a very loose through line, like super loose. Otherwise, it's just like, okay, in this next scene is this next gag. And then once that gag right. is over, we're moving on to the next scene, which has a different gag. Yes, a series of gags is a great way to describe this movie. And that is a comedy format that has died over the years, the comedy yep. of errors quote unquote. So um, you have things in this movie like um, an x-ray fight scene where Andy, the like hero, is stuck behind an x-ray machine and he has like a cat and he's like fighting the bad guy with a cat. I feel like I feel like you got to you got to take three steps back and give a, a brief plot synopsis okay. before okay. we brief. start talking about these okay. random gags. There is there is a donkey named Gus who lives in Yugoslavia who kicks soccer balls really far. Yep. Um, and Gus's like companion is a man named Andy, who whose brother is a national soccer hero. Yep. And his father plays favorites in the family, of course. And so this cheap owner slash GM, I don't know what he's supposed to be. Uh, who owns the California Adams NFL team <laughs> is looking for new talent slash uh, promotional opportunities and catches wind of this donkey who may be able to kick a football over a hundred yards. Yep. Uh, so they sign the donkey to a contract and hijinks <laughs> ensues. Uh, and credits. First of all, the way that they portray this California Adams football team, like no NFL team is that bad. These players are like falling, oh, like falling on their face onto the ball during a kickoff. And you know what's even crazier is that in the uh, title sequence, they credit the NFL for their assistance in the football sequences of this film. And so it's so bizarre that the NFL would even allow a team that's bad to look like that and then be like, yep, stamp of approval. This has been brought to you by the NFL in 1976. And there were a few NFL teams that were featured. I think the Packers were in there, the Browns, Niners, a couple I others. Think. I can't really remember, but, um, but that's pretty much the story. And so, uh, all these hijinks ensue. For example, the x-ray fight scene, there's like a bad guy who's trying to like kidnap Gus to hold him for ransom or something. I don't really know. Uh, the owner starts yelling at one of the players inside of the shower, which is like very strange. Uh, Gus kicks a TV at one point. <laughs> there's a, there's like a grocery store scene where they go into the grocery store and they're trying to catch Gus, but he's just knocking over everything in the grocery store. Yeah. Like as you, as you can kind of feel, this is like a 1950s and 60s style comedy, but I think it came out in like the 80s. 1976. Mid-70s. So this guy, Andy, though, this yeah. guy, Andy, is like a, a top-tier Disney sad boy. This guy is sad all <laughs> the time. 
He is so emo about literally everything. And I mean, maybe for good reason. His father seems kind of like not a super nice guy. Yeah, it seems like he was probably neglected for a lot of his childhood because his brother was favored. He's very sad. Um, and then you've got Gus, who uh, low-key gigantic Disney turnt boy because he yep. gets drunk. He gets drunk on vodka oats yep. in this movie, yep. um, and and ends up just like falling over on the football field, <laughs> and he ends up like bucking the mayor into the air or something <laughs> like that. Um, this movie, like in general, is a very unbelievable premise, and that's kind of like my biggest problem with it is a lot of these Disney sports movies that are good, you're able to see yourselves in the situation and be like, I connect with the hero, I'm rooting for them. This is this feels like something I am a part of or I could be a part of. Um, and Gus just feels absolutely ridiculous. It peaks at the very end of the movie. Uh, spoilers for Gus. Uh, Gus loses his ability to kick. And so Andy, his companion, must run the football down the field to score the game-winning touchdown at the end, which uh, it turns out Gus was faking. He was faking being injured uh, so that Andy could kind of have this moment of redemption for himself, which in retrospect is kind of like he just left his boy out there to get murdered because these are NFL defenses and Andy has no helmet on and has to run 100 (laughs) yards with the football. Um, so there was a good chance Andy could have been decapitated. No so regrets. Gus, Gus, bad friend. Um, yeah, it's definitely the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> yeah, Gus, I, I'm like you. I saw that thumbnail. Um, and I also saw a, another podcast that I follow on Twitter who does movie reviews of like Disney from the 60s and 70s. And they got to this film and I was like, Oh boy, I need to watch this. I need to watch it so I can listen to that episode. And then I watched it and I was like, nope, mm-hmm. never again. <laughs> never yeah. again. It was so hard to even get to the end of it. Like halfway yep. through, I wanted to be done because I was like, I get it. Hilarity ensues at every moment in the middle of this film. Let's just get to what the point is. Uh, I did really like the scene in which they bring out Gus to play. And the refs don't know if Gus is allowed to play or not. Yeah. And they go to the the rule book and the rule book just says that the team must field however many players, but they don't specify what constitutes a player. <laughs> so they're like, I guess the donkey does. And that that lack of uh, detail in the rules is exactly what Disney doesn't do these days because we are, I mean, we're going to the parks this upcoming weekend. And in preparation, our friends that we're going with, we're looking through things that are allowed into the parks. Like, what are they allowed to bring in? And they came across Disney service animal policy. And I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but Disney allows for service pets. And then it says, comma, such as dogs or miniature horses. And then <laughs> goes on with the rest of the sentence. Their example is dogs and or miniature horses. So uh, I looked into it and there are photos on the internet of people with miniature horse service dog animals around the parks. Someone uh, had to do it for see, them to put that in there. If the NFL just had that specificity in their rules, then we wouldn't even have to, to worry about guests being on that field. I'm agreeing with you. Mighty Ducks is obviously the superior movie. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts? And did you watch Gus? 
Um, no, I did not okay. watch this. <laughs> I, uh, I felt strongly enough in my convictions in the Mighty Ducks to, to not watch Gus here. Um, I will say, though, for whatever reason, always resonates with me when, when sports movies uh, get the actual licensing to use other professional sports teams. Um, yeah. Brings a little bit of legitimacy to it. So one point for Gus in, uh, in that regard. But what's interesting is that like the the main team, the California Adams, as well as the team they play in the like Super Bowl, were not NFL teams. Right. And so I like, don't know what they, they were trying to like not bes- besmirch the name of a real NFL team right. along the way. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Mighty Ducks moves on as expected. Let's move on to the next matchup. It is Kyle Reeves' favorite matchup. It is the number eight, the rookie versus number nine, the big green. I this the big green is a movie that I had never seen until this bracket as well. I remember in my youths walking through the blockbuster aisles and the big green was prominently displayed in the family section as like 20 DVD or VHS covers. Like it was a very popular rental, Mm. which in my research of the film is meant to be true. Like it had a very successful uh, post theatrical run where it, people every family had the big green they were buying that thing up like nothing uh so going into it i had some semi big expectations like it must have been a a popular family film uh this film came out in 1995 and i was not into it i usually can do some of these kind of hokey early disney 90s films and be okay with it especially when it involves like a team of kids, a group of kids, like things can get kind of outlandish and they definitely do here. But this was just like a little bit too much for me. Um, You have Steve Gutenberg, who's the big draw of the film. I think he's the big name. And he was, you know, obviously because it's the 90s, you got some of the Sandlot kids, which also big in the 90s. And the really bad soundtrack. Which is interesting because the soundtrack was done by Randy Edelman, who also did the Angels in the Outfield soundtrack, which I think is a great score. So it's almost like he had a hot streak and they were just trying to book him up for anything. And here he was in 1995 doing something called The Big Green. So The Big Green is a story about a bunch of unmotivated school children that get a new teacher who hails from England and wants to motivate them by teaching them soccer uh, so that they have some drive in their life. Uh, Steve Gutenberg's character is a sheriff in town, very small town, and he obviously has a crush on the teacher, so he's going to do whatever she wants, and he helps coach them. Uh, They enter a league in which they are unmatched because these kids don't know how to play soccer, and then by the end, they get a foreign kid named Juan who comes in and teaches the team how to be great and scores the winning goal and stuff. So uh, this is such a 90s storyline of like, we have a team... And we bring in this quote unquote like exotic or quote unquote foreign kid to to lead the team to victory that I was just like, ah, here we go. And then the drama with the the kid one in the middle of the film risks getting deported because he's in America without his documentation or at least his mom is. And that's the whole, you know, drama. How's the team going to win without Juan? uh jokes about Juan's name calling him Juwan like it's just it's brutal to get through some of those parts what i thought you know chris you were saying 
what makes a good sports movie is how you can kind of situate yourself within the film or believe mm-hmm. that you can be one of these kids or, yeah. you know, be within it. I've, I can't imagine being in a town where the whole town cares about the middle school kids soccer team. Do you see how they were rallying around this, this squad in the film? Like they had them remember the Titan style where the town was just like, we are riding with you, big green. We are, we're going to make t-shirts for you. Like <laughs> it was just so I just eye rolling. The, the humor was just over the top. I was not, I was not feeling this film. Uh, it's up against the rookie, which I hadn't seen in a very long time. And it was an awesome revisit. Uh, it is a story about a, you know, it's based on a true story of this man, Jim Morris, who uh, was a baseball prodigy who hurt his arm and never was able to make it into, you know, professional baseball because of that. So he becomes a teacher and a coach and he motivates his team to win this state championship by saying that if they do so, he will try out uh, for the major leagues. They, of course, do that. And he, of course, tries out. He makes it into the major leagues. Uh, He strikes out his first batter. And that's a big dub for our boy, Jimmy Morris, because that's basically that. Uh, You look at Jim Morris's uh, baseball career. He pitched in 15 <laughs> innings. Uh, he had a 4.80 ERA uh, over the span of essentially he pitched for like 14 months. So it's great. It's a great story that this old guy uh, made it into the major leagues. Uh, but he it was really getting to the major leagues. That is the story. He did not really have a major league career. It could have been worse, Kyle. It could have been so much worse. Yeah, his arm could have fallen out of socket on the mound uh versus who who do you strike out uh, uh he's royce stroke, clayton he, royce Cla- is, forever giant royce clayton who is the actual player who he's the real jim morris struck out uh yep. to for his first strikeout they in the movie they say he did it on three pitches in reality he did it on four and the real jim morris is actually in the film and he is one of the umpires in the Orlando minor league game. Uh, so, of course, they, they pay homage to him doing that. Uh, the <laughs> in this film, during the high school games, they have a PA announcer. And the PA announcer, usually at games, announces who's coming up to bat, uh, does all of the you know, sponsor reads during the inning breaks, uh, and says something about a home run and, and says what, you know, what the, that home run mark was at some ballparks. This PA announcer acted like he was a radio host. He was chatting over absolutely everything and adding commentary to every single game and every single moment of the game. There's a deep drive to left. Right. And they're in the middle of it. It's like, can you, (laughs) can you just let these players play this game? I thought that the rookie overall is a much better film than The Big Green. I think that they're doing two different things, very obviously. They have two different sort of audiences as far as the demographic that they're going for telling these stories. I appreciate the the fun lightheartedness of The Big Green, but I don't see it as a superior sports movie to The Rookie. And Disney is very well known for turning these real life stories into fantastic movies. And we see that time and time again. So this feels like a bread and butter Disney sports movie. I'm advancing the number eight. 
Well, uh, I guess apologies to Kyle Reeves, but uh, The Big Green was the movie I could not get through. <laughs> uh, I had to fast forward it to finish it off because... I just didn't care very much. I mean, I didn't grow up with this movie, so I don't have that kind of like familiarity with it, the nostalgia for it. I did not know it existed at all, period. And so um, some of the problems I had with it, uh, it feels super not realistic. The fact that you could have like a classroom full of kids uh, that that don't even know what a soccer ball is, and then like two weeks later, they're playing in the... They're not state championships, but they're like regional championships regional. or something. Yeah. Uh, the they said that the Big Green went eight two and one, and they ended up acquiring an Adidas sponsorship along the way. Yeah. And and mind <laughs> you, this is in Texas, where like youth sports is ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. Uh, these kids would not be able to swing that. No way. Um. Also, like it all happens really fast. They go from like what's a soccer ball to like, all right, we're playing in a soccer game tomorrow in yeah. the span of like three minutes yep. and no one's parents got asked. <laughs> uh, it was just like, it just like happened. It, it felt like it went from uh, zero to 100 very quickly. Uh, one thing that I did like about the movie was uh, ham. I don't know what the, what the character's name is. Uh, yep. Patrick Reyna his goalie character having visions of like the other team yeah, as, as the mascot that they are coming towards him at the goal. Yep. Uh, I thought that was actually pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. I kind of, yeah. I kind of chuckled out loud at that. Um, and it's good. It's, it was, a, it was set up and then it ended up paying off in the end. That was like the thing that he had to like overcome to, to win the game. And that's big for a Disney sports movie. He took on all of their identities of the the previous uh, opponent. Yeah. You mentioned the soundtrack, which is interesting because I have a soundtrack note as well. There was a a montage, of course. Gotta have a montage in a Disney sports movie. Yep. Uh, A song called Sunny Side Up by Michael Cimbello, who uh, Michael Cimbello had a one-hit wonder called Maniac from... (laughs) the Flash 80s. Dance. Yep, exactly. Flash dance. So uh that was that was kind of funny to see him to see him in that movie. Uh the CGI, there was some like weird little like graphics that they that they put on the screen a couple of times that were also I felt mm. completely ridiculous. Uh I think the what if I was gonna give this movie a rewrite, it would be make the movie about Juan. Like follow him from the beginning uh and take him all the way through to the end. Because sure. his his story kind of feels like the only one that has really any like depth to it um everything else feels kind of forced like the teacher and the sheriff and their romance and the mom and juan ends up like having a crush on the girl that was like kind of standoffish too it just it felt kind of like jumbled by the end so uh so i wasn't super into it uh the rookie i was a huge huge fan of so i am advancing it here kyle reeves i'm sorry down goes the big green Big Green was not one of my favorite movies, so I do not feel any uh, any okay. bit uh, okay. upset by this. I was going to advance to Rookie as well if it came down to me. Um, so, but I did want to give mention to uh, seemingly its cult status in the '90s. I remember I, it was, you know, as, as as Kyle said, it was very prevalent, uh, you know, movie stores, places like that. Um, so I did want to give it its due for that. But no, 
the rookie is a, um, I believe it holds up so much better. And for that reason alone, it, it, it wins the tiebreaker here over you know, in this eight, nine. Um, so yes, move, move the rookie forward. All right, move on down to the next matchup. Number four, Angels in the outfield versus number 13, Queen of Katwe. Uh, I promised Kyle Skinner I was going to give Movie Pass a shout out on this episode <laughs> of the podcast because that's just what I do here at Mouse Madness. Uh, the Queen of Katwe came out when uh, Movie Pass was a thing that I used. This was pre price drop. This was when I was still paying 30 bucks a month for Movie Pass and I was using it successfully when I lived in Overland Park. Shout out OP. Shout out KC. And um, it was it was like I opened the movie pass app and I'm like, what is Queen of Katwe? Disney has a movie about chess, apparently that's out. And I'm pretty sure I went and saw um Sausage Party instead. Oh, there you go. Which was <laughs> the worst movie I have ever seen in my life. Do not recommend. Um and looking back now, after finally having seen Queen of Katwe, wish I had gone and seen that. Yeah, because this movie, maybe above all others on this bracket, was a pleasant, very pleasant surprise for me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, first of all, just first impression. Uh, this movie felt extremely realistic yeah. in the way that Uganda is depicted visually. This is a movie about a young orphan girl growing up in Uganda who becomes a chess champion in Uganda. That's the movie. A uh, very very simple premise, um, and and I think that helps the movie be super digestible and super memorable as well. Um, there's not a whole lot of like subplots going on here. Um, there's a little bit where like uh, she has a sister, and the sister is uh, she's like dating a man, and there are some like very dated gender roles in the Ugandan society that's displayed, and and uh, and so a lot of people are telling Fiona that like she she can't make it very far in life by playing this chess game. Um, and so that kind of positions her as an underdog and she ends up uh, absolutely stunting on some private school kids in Uganda. And uh, she ends up like beating some grown people to, to become a, become a champion. And it's really, yeah. really awesome. And I think she's like 14 years old or something. Uh, this is based on a true story. And I think the thing that I like most about it is they gave this story to Ugandan people to tell. Mm -hmm. And that was like a big thing um, in the production process and like getting this project greenlit was like, we are going to tell a Ugandan story by Ugandans with a very Ugandan uh, style to it. Yep. And it's going to be slightly different from like the way Disney has handled sports movies in the past, um, but it will also be the same in a lot of ways. And I think like it... You know, I hate this meme, but like it, it understood the assignment and it, sure. it nailed it, you know, back to kind of like the, the physical uh, visual depiction of Uganda. This movie does a good job of like taking the time to focus on these very small things that are happening, like uh, women bathing in the stream or uh, these ducks that are like losing all of their feathers, swim, uh, you know, eating some garbage or something. And it's like those small choices like that really make this movie feel realistic and make this world feel like it's full of life. Totally. Absolutely love that. The movie is not full of dialogue. Uh, this movie feels a lot like a documentary 
and that you feel like a fly on the wall and you're not hearing every single thing every person's thinking said out loud. Um, you are really just kind of watching it play out in a really real way. All the acting is very subtle. Um, and I just love that. I just love that. It's beautiful. Uh, quaint, I think, is a really good word to describe this this movie. Of course, it has everything that you look for in a sports movie. Like I mentioned, the underdog aspect, um, the uh, winning against all odds aspect, the improbability aspect. And, uh, and so I think it's a really strong 13 seed here. Uh, yeah. Going up against Angels in the Outfield, which... Uh, we had we had kind of a tough time tracking down Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, uh, not it is easy not on Disney days. Plus. <laughs> it is on TBS, the TBS app, which I did not know existed. Neither did I. And uh, I really, I really don't know why. I think it's because in the credits it said like this is a Turner movie or something like that, mm-hmm. and. I don't know like what the what the business deal was like between Disney and Turner, but. Amazon is in the process of buying MGM, which is Turner owns MGM currently. So like Amazon's buying the MGM library. Ah. So I think angels in the outfield may be on Amazon prime suit. And that is my prediction. Or that, or that angels in the outfield had a like licensing agreement with Turner through a certain year. And then once that's up, it goes back to Disney and we'll see it on Disney Plus. There's a few other films. I mean, like they had to wait once they started Disney Plus to get a lot of their content onto there from like places like Netflix uh, because Netflix had licensing agreements and they had to wait till that's up. So I wonder if there's something like that. Um, Angels in the Outfield. I watched this movie a lot. Um, not not as a kid, but as like a teenager or something. They they threw this on like HBO or something randomly uh, for a long time at some point. Um, and so I don't really have a lot of nostalgia for it, but I am very familiar with it. And I revisited it for the first time in a long time. And I got to say, I don't know how well this movie has held up for me. Yeah. Um, everything feels a little bit old and this story doesn't feel super timeless in the way that some of these other sports movies do sure plot synopsis angels are a really bad baseball team in the world of this movie okay not not in real life (laughs) no disrespect to any of our friends in the angels organization um but joseph gordon levitt little baby little baby boy joseph gordon levitt is an orphan and his dad says uh we can be a family again when the angels win the pennant. And uh, I love that. I love that little like moment of hyperbole that is taken literally by this orphan child. Yeah. That's my favorite part of the movie. Don't know why. But um, FYI, 2002 is the only pennant the angels have ever won. Shout yeah, out so. to uh, jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt for getting his dad back in 2002. <laughs> I guess he must have. There are a lot of little things about this movie that are super good and some things that are super bad. Of course, we all work or worked in baseball. So anytime we're dealing with a baseball movie, I have like rabbit ears on for any little thing that happens. So like I'm trying to focus on like the big picture of this movie and like, is it a good sports movie? But I just can't, I just can't turn my brain off. So, uh, at the beginning of the movie, like it's shown that like the angels are terrible. They're running into each other in the outfield and the manager is yelling at everyone. And he's like, tomorrow, everyone better be here at 9 a.m. And we're working on the fundamentals. And someone's like, don't we have a one o'clock game? Um, arriving to the ballpark at 9 a.m. for a one o'clock game is like 
right on time. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. For a lot of players, especially now, it's too late because yeah. they're like they're there at like seven thirty and they're hitting the weight room even before they do their nine a.m. warm up. So yeah, when they said that, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, oh, 7 p.m. game. Like, yeah, that's a long time. But then he's like, one o'clock game. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then he's, and then he says, we're going to work on the fundamentals as if there are things that they don't work on during batting practice that are not fundamentals. Yep. That is literally the point of baseball is all you do is work on fundamentals all the time. I don't know what, what type of practice he was running before, but maybe that's why they're not doing so well. <laughs> Uh oh the cast the cast in this movie though is is sort of stacked obviously you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt you've got Danny Glover who plays the manager you've got uh, Tony Danza who is the uh, the like grizzled veteran you've got Chris Lloyd who is Al the angel Chris Lloyd by the way why is it why do I feel like Chris Lloyd has been 70 years old for the last like 40 years Yeah he hit a certain age where he just looked old and then stayed looking that old for the rest of time. <laughs> and he's 83 right now. He's not even like crazy old. He's, right. uh, uh, he was 56 when this movie came out. Yeah, he looked a lot um, older than 56. But I think the thing is he was 47 when Back to the Future came out. And mm. that is like the role he is most known for. And he was like a white haired scientist in that. So I think everyone just kind of like sees him as old Doc Brown. Sure. Uh, and maybe maybe that's what happened, but it's interesting. Uh, you've also got um, the pigeon lady from Home Alone, <laughs> yeah, who, is the, right. <laughs> who is the lady who uh, <laughs> runs the orphanage. Uh, and then also on the baseball team, you've got Adrian Brody and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, Matthew McConaughey is the left fielder and who is not who does not have a lot of range. Definitely like, you know, his Uzi R is probably pretty low. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then Adrian Brody, they describe as a utility infielder who has never gotten a hit in the right. majors. What is he doing on the 25 man roster? <laughs> I don't know. He's like Terrence Gore, I guess out there. Sorry, no disrespect to Terrence Gore, but wow. I love Terrence Gore. But, um, this movie is, is, is got this faith element to it. That is kind of like the driving force behind all of it. And I think that's why I don't like it. Not because like I don't like a movie about faith. Like I, I love that element uh, in general. But for like a Disney sports movie, it really needs to lead with the sports. And the yep. fact that like our hero isn't playing the sport is also kind of like an issue for me. It's these, it's these, these men that things are happening to them instead of like them overcoming a challenge themselves. And uh, <laughs> Kyle Skinner, why does this movie remind me of the Purple Testament episode from The Twilight Zone, where <laughs> yeah, so right. the man, the the war veteran, sees uh like an angel around people who are about to die? Yeah, like this Joseph Gordon-Levin kid might be like a kind of a psychopath. He's yeah, not gonna lie, he might be actually. This is like sort of troubling because here. he he at the end of this film. We learn that Tony Danza's character is six months away from dying, and he sees an angel around him. It's, kind of, it's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, he's been smoking for years. Yep, yep. It's like, dang, this man's, this man's about to die like six months after his World Series ring. Right. It's super sad. Um, I'm going with the Queen of Katwe in the upset here. I think this was uh, a more enjoyable watch for me this time around. 
I think as I've matured, I've come to appreciate some of those slower, uh, simpler stories. And that's what Queen of, Queen of Katwe did for me. Angels in the Outfield was also something that I watched quite a bit growing up and was surprised to learn in like trying to find this movie to stream that it's a remake of a 1951 film, which makes me want to go back and watch yeah. the 1951 film. I'm sure it's not great, but it makes me want to see like, what was that storyline? Like what, how did they, how does that relate to what this is? I have a feeling that it's very loosely based on the 1951 film. Um, but yeah, it's we, you talked about being a, a baseball person and us having all worked in baseball. This whole movie takes place at the Oakland Coliseum. Like this entire film takes place at the Oakland Coliseum, even when they're in Anaheim. So there's shots of exterior shots of Angel Stadium and then you go in and it's Oakland. Like Angel Stadium was a massive bowl and Oakland has grass in the outfield. <laughs> like they, they didn't even try it. Even when the team was on a at a road game, they were still at the Coliseum. Like the layout, everything was still the exact same. It some of the crowd shots in some of those championship games, the pennant game specifically. Overhead of Angel Stadium, packed. Some side views of it, packed. When the game's happening on the field, they pan up and like the upper bowl is completely empty. The the wings past sections 128 and 107 are completely empty. Like it, <laughs> the continuity was killing me. And mostly because I was looking for it because I was like, I've spent, I spent five years working every day in this stadium so I can nitpick every single thing about it. The fact that things were painted blue makes a lot more sense now because you can still find a lot of that blue and red paint under chipped green and gold mm -hmm. paint uh, because that's that's the Oakland Coliseum for you. So it was almost more of a fun like Easter egg watch for me than it mm -hmm. was an actual uh, sports movie watch for me. I don't know that I necessarily need to be at the perspective of an athlete or the hero being part of the game as much as maybe you do to, to like fully qualify or fully enjoy a sports movie like this. Uh, I kind of liked observing as a spectator with uh, JGL, but I can see why you would say that queen of Cotway. Like I also hadn't seen it. I didn't see it in theaters. This is a 2016 film. And just to like throw a correction, she wasn't an orphan. Her mom had her and she was being raised by her mom with her three siblings. That's uh, right. Her mom's being played by Lupita Nyong'o, who right. is now of every single fame and anything that's recently been really good. 12 Years a Slave. Um, she was in Us, the Jordan Peele film. Um, and she was she, friends with the orphans, right? That yes. was where they were teaching chess. Yes, 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 exactly. And uh, Lupita is actually Kenyan Mexican. And I had no idea that that's how hmm. she identified. She was born in Kenya, but grew up in Mexico. So she has dual citizenship there, which is dope. I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed this film. Like I, the anxiety I got from watching these chess matches, I don't even know chess. I, like, I can't even play chess. I don't even <laughs> understand it. And yet I was dialed in every single second of it. And, it, and it's like you said, like we're not in her head about what moves she's going to make. There's not this like dialogue over the action of, you know, some narrator. 
we're just in the moment with Fiona every step of the way. And I also, you know, being with her every step of the way, including her like middle downfall where she got a little too cocky, a little too ambitious. And I think that that's often something that sports movies in general explore somewhat, but they don't necessarily dive in as deep as Queen of Cotway did where she rode this high for so long, got really cocky, was told, you know, calm down and then had this huge heartbreak that was actually really heavy to have to like witness with her. Oftentimes we cheer that the hero was knocked down because they're doing wrong by their friends and stuff. But this was more of like, we just wanted to see Fiona succeed. And that buy-in is really hard to do with an audience, especially around something like chess. Uh, obviously, we consider chess a sport. That's why it's on here. So I, I definitely qualify it. And I, I'm going to agree with you with this upset. I just really enjoyed Queen of Cotway. Uh, Kyle, what's your reaction to that four seed going down? Uh, it's, it's a bit of a surprise. Um, but at the same time, it's already been mentioned in this episode, you know, Disney's wheelhouse is these, in these sports movies specifically is these inspirational based on true story, um, moments and, and these stories and, um, the way that they're able to portray it, um, is just, I don't know, it's their wheelhouse and it's what they do best. And it's not a surprise to me that, uh, this moves on, um, you know, past the movie where, where really, uh, you have to remove yourself completely from reality and angels of the outfield. Um, and it's so much easier to buy in on this one. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a surprise because of, you know, really the, the, the popularity, the, the staying popularity of angels in the outfield, but it's, it's a welcome surprise too, because it's, it's, um, you know, it's fun to see. All right, let's move on to this next matchup. It is D2, the mighty ducks at the number five seed versus the number 12, the greatest game ever played. You know D2, the Mighty Ducks. We've already talked about it. Uh, the gang goes national. They become Team USA. Gordon Bombay had a minor league career in which he was going to go to the NHL and then suffered an injury that ended his career. So he got offered the coaching job at this national team, junior team, uh, to take them to this international tournament uh, in which he coached a lot of his Ducks players. We get some new friends along the way. Introduction of the knuckle puck by Keenan. Uh, the arguably uh, the the snubbed greatest mighty duck in Julie the cat who comes through and okay is, slow down slow down and is uh, an absolute hero at the end getting subbed in to make it a crucial save for them to win the tournament. You get Iceland as the bad guys in this film. It it is a classic, and I think we even said in the Mighty Ducks uh, bracket that it's one of the better sequels to a you know. It's one of the better sequels that really exists. Sequels are hard to do, and D2 did it well, and we really enjoyed it. It's up against uh, the greatest game ever played, and I remember seeing this in theaters, but I did not really? remember what it was really wow. about, to be honest, at all. Uh, so this film was a 2005 film, and mm -hmm. it is about the first amateur golfer to win the U.S. Open. And it is that golfer's name I don't remember, but they Francis are portrayed. Francis we met. Francis we met, portrayed by our boy Shia LaBeouf, uh, at his movie making prime, especially for Disney. 
and he is this really great golfer, caddy turned golfer. Uh, dad hates golf. You always got to have the parent that doesn't like the thing that you love to really have something to fight against. Uh, he gets drawn back into the golf world. He qualifies for the U.S. Open. He goes up against this British pro golfer who was known as really just the best in the world at at his prime. He's coming into this U.S. tournament as a little bit of the older older variety, but still a threat. And they go into a a shootout playoff in which Francis wins, uh, and everyone's happy for him because he's an amateur and the town loved him and Shia gets the girl and yada, yada, yada. So that's that film. Uh, you brought up, it's not a Disney sports film without a montage. Well, it's definitely not a Disney sports film without a montage in the rain, baby, because that's what we get in this one. Uh, Shia Francis goes back into the golf game and gets trained by one of the like shopkeepers, the golf shopkeepers who is, very knowledgeable in the game of golf. And we get a a fairly long montage of Shia hitting golf balls into the rain <laughs> from like a, a, a cart barn or something like that. I love looking up the historical accuracy of a lot of these Disney films because sometimes it's like you gotta you gotta dramatize it a little bit, of course. It's a film, you gotta add some something to root for, something to go for. And this one was not all that accurate. Uh, and in the point that really Francis finished birdie par on 17 and 18 and the dude that he was against bogey doubled bogeyed to end the playoff five strokes clear of the, the British golfer. So there wasn't really even a playoff. He just won it outright, but they huh. had to tack on the extra 25 minutes for us to okay. have some drama yeah. to it. Uh, so Take that as you will, but it is definitely <laughs> loosely based jail. on a true story. Straight to jail. Straight to jail. You're done. <laughs> I enjoyed the title sequence of this. You guys know those like uh like uh travel oh. touristy books that you can get at like bookstores where it's I, like I, the history dude, of the gold rush. And that was the exact thing I noticed as well. And this is a Bill Paxton movie. And I was like, this feels like Bill Paxton edited this intro credit sequence himself and was like, Oh, you know, those, you know, those books you could buy at the bookstore. I'm going to do that. That would be sick. Yeah. I did not like it. Did not like it. Oh, I liked it because I like history and those books are just these historical time capsules of, it's cheap, cheap derivative. Eh, Well, rip off. Take it as you will. Uh, speaking okay. of cheap or derivative, uh, the replacement turf as golf tees. Either you boys golf because that seems like a way better way to do things than to have wooden tees. I literally saw that and my mind was blown and I was like, I want to do that now. Yeah. It just seems so much better for the environment, I guess. I don't, you don't need to chop down trees. If you're just doing hitting off a replacement turf, then you're just replenishing the grass every single time you hit. So. I liked that. I thought that was interesting. I said in my intro that there was some ambitious CGI because there was, but I thought they also got really creative and fun with their shots in this. So there's like a portion where Shia is trying to hit a putt of some sort and he walks up to the ball and then suddenly we're directly under the ball and he puts the ball over the, like he's obviously standing on glass or something. 
but it was super cool how they did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Vardan, who is the, the heavyweight golfer, he, uh, he has moments in which he gets into the zone and he sees himself in like England <laughs> playing on his like home golf course. He sees the- uh, Dawes, Tomes, Mousley and Grubbs uh, <laughs> coming, coming into his window as a kid. <laughs> Yeah, the film opens up with like this dude getting evicted from his house because these bankers are going to come build a golf course on his land. And those bankers just haunt him for the rest of his career. And that's like what is owns up to him, like losing the playoff match, essentially, because he's being haunted by these fools. But every time he's in the zone, the world kind of disappears. And it does so in a fun way. It definitely could be done better today, but it is done. A lot of great like zooming in of the uh, the the pin and just the way that like the world around us also shrinks as we kind of zoom in. I I wish I was a, a filmographer so I could describe it better, but I can't. Uh, just you'll just have to see it for yourself. It was a noble effort. Thanks, man. I thought that like. It was a fine movie. I thought I was going to want to turn it off partway through because I don't really care a ton about golf, but I didn't because I actually yep. enjoyed the storyline. However, when it comes to kids playing sports, The Mighty Ducks is the goat of those types of films. I just really enjoy that. Of the kind of like based on a true story, knowing that this is what story wasn't completely true added a lot of drama. Some of the acting was a little bit sketchy uh, and it's about golf. For me personally, that bias lies in the hockey movie since that's my favorite sport. And I think that Disney's Mighty Ducks carries a little bit more weight than the greatest game ever played, which is a film Hmm. based on a novel based on a true story. So uh, I'm going to go with the higher seat here and have D2 move on. Kyle, you did a pretty good job covering Greatest Game Ever Played. Um, some things that I really like about it. Um, you got Stannis Baratheon as Harry Varden, which yes. we don't get to see Stannis in a lot of stuff outside of Game of Thrones. So uh, it's great to see him out there on the links. The, visually, this movie, there was this like early 2000s aesthetic that Disney was doing with their live action movies. It's like National Treasure, Invincible, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, this movie. The rookie. It's like this like uh desaturated, like yellowy kind of yep. movie. And there's a lot of like shots of people like at night underneath yellow lights. Uh super ugly and like has not aged <laughs> very well. And I hate it. Um Julia's dad and Luca, same dude as Shia LaBeouf's dad. Uh, they both wear the little fisherman hat and have like the, the mustache and the eyebrows that are so thick that you can't see their eyeballs. Yep. I think two, the, the two reasons I really like this movie a lot. Number one, it does a great job of kind of portraying the classism that exists in the world of golf. Yes. Uh, the fact that like country clubs exists and that like there are access problems with golf, like where they are located and who can go and how much it costs to get on the course and the availability of tee times, etc. cetera, um, still exists to this day. You've also got uh, this thing that happens in sports that, that is one of my favorite things. It's when every single person at the sporting event 
even the people on the opposing team are like rallying behind this thing to happen that yep. is so special yep. that you just you'll know you there that it will never happen again so like let's just all will it to happen it's tiger like, woods at the 2019 masters is like a perfect example of that or just um, any as well like, as like baseball no hitter right any no hitter any perfect game it's like if if i'm you know covering a giants game in san francisco and a Dodgers pitcher has got a no hitter. I'm like, I've never seen a no hitter <laughs> and I don't know how many I'll ever be able to get to see. So right. that it, it really is kind of cool seeing the Harry Varden character who is Francis. We met's opponent sort of kind of like, we're not really sure if he's kind of like rooting for Francis or, or he's, you know, trying to defeat Francis. Very cool. Um, and something that you don't get in any other of these sports movies. Also, uh, Harry's like crony, the the big boy, the big boy golfer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, him uh, hitting a drive in a crowded bar off of a shot glass through a phone book into a furnace. Um, sorry, that's a top tier movie scene of yeah. all time. <laughs> I I agree with you. I loved that. I was like, go, yeah, big boy with the drive. Yeah, that was uh, fantastic. Bryson could never, <laughs> never. Uh, hot take D2 is my least favorite Mighty Ducks movie do you like D3 better than D2 D3 the Mighty Ducks and then D2 D3 is my favorite Mighty Ducks movie mm. if I was going to reorganize the Mighty Ducks films it would be the Mighty Ducks followed by D3 followed by D2 D3 is a movie that really like tests the uh, the players in a way that they've never been tested before which I kind of feel like should come second and then D2 is that um, we've got to put everything together to win on the big stage against the big bad, and that is Team Iceland. Yeah. And we do it with the help of some like random people that we threw in in the last second. I think I tweeted one of the first ever Mouse Madness tweets was D two is the Infinity War of the Mighty Ducks movies, <laughs> where everyone just kind of comes together in a really fun fun way. And yes, that's a really great way to describe this movie. It's super fun, um, and it explores. Uh, hockey moments in a really fun way. Yeah. But when we're talking about like uh, sports movies, I like the drama and D2 has its fair share of drama, but, but that, uh, that playoff in greatest game ever played, I was here for it. So I'm sure. going with the upset here. I've got greatest game ever played. So Kyle Reeves, you're having to break this tiebreaker here. I am. Um, and this is going to be a tough one for me to, uh, to pick, but I do have some gripes against D2 as much as I love uh, the Mighty Ducks. And um, I think from a, from a narrative standpoint, you know, we, we see, we see Gordon in the first movie, you know, he, he's this hotshot lawyer and he has to learn how to be part of a team. And what happens in D2, he becomes a hotshot coach and he has to learn how to be a part of a team. And we've already seen this, you know, Um, and, and it's a very enjoyable, watchable movie, yes, and I love it. And it's probably, of all three of them, if I was just going to sit down and watch one of them on any given day, it would be D2. Um, because I think it has the most fun scenes. I think it has, um, frankly, some of the best sports action on any kind of sports movie ever. I think True. the yeah. opening sequence of the third period of the finals game versus Iceland when they come out in the New Jerseys, I think that is some of the best, probably the best um depiction of a sport 
most realistic depiction of a sport onto a movie that I have ever seen. But yeah, all of it I stringing agree. it together is is not strong. Um, and the parts that, that do string it together are things that we've seen before. Uh, so it doesn't push things into uh, a direction that we've gone before. Um, and I think for that reason alone, I'll, I'll also cede this one to, um, to the Grace game. Wow. Wow. Down goes D2. Love it. Love some, <laughs> love some drama on this sports bracket. Uh, let's hop over to, uh, the other side. We've got number two, remember the Titans versus number 15 ice princess. Uh, wow. What? This seems like a very strange matchup, right? Yeah. You've got, you've got this movie that is very emotionally heavy in Remember the Titans um, that most people hold in very high regard versus Ice Princess, which is a movie you you might not have heard of. Uh, Ice Princess stars Michelle Trachtenberg and Hayden Panettiere. Michelle Trachtenberg is a physics student, like an advanced physics student who has a secret passion for ice skating. And so she studies figure skating and ends up applying it to figure skating and becomes a figure skating champion. Meanwhile, her mother, Joan Cusack is like smothering when it comes to academics and Hayden Panettiere's mother is smothering when it comes to athletics. Um, and she's instilled some very toxic attitudes about sport in her children. You know, you have to eat a certain way and you have to skate a certain way and put so much time into it, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that, that I like about Ice Princess is, is just that, that depiction of, of the parents' involvement in the sports, uh, especially today when, when you really want to do a sport, there's no casual playing the sport. It's like uh, your parents are sinking a lot of money into it and you are doing it a lot. And yeah. it might get to the point where you do not enjoy doing it so much. And that's kind of what happens with Hayden Panettiere's character. She ends up kind of like befriending... Michelle Trachtenberg's nerd friend who like, you know, they're like, can you tutor me? Can you t- meet, help me meet boys or something? I don't know. Um, but it's a surprisingly enjoyable watch for me. Both of these movies profile in a very similar way to me. And that's that they, it feels like they don't lead with the sport. Remember the Titans is a movie about race relations that also has football in it. Ice Princess is a movie about uh, family dynamics that has figure skating in it. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. You look at some of the movies we've talked about previously, like The Rookie. I mean, that is a baseball movie. Yeah. Like every single aspect of it comes back to baseball. And even with a movie like Remember the Titans that... It's one of the first movies we think about when we think about a football movie. The football really is like inconsequential to what this movie is really about. Um, so, it, you know, up against another movie on this bracket, I don't know. I might, I might favor the underdog, but uh, you know, there's there's kind of a similar thing happening in Ice Princess. Uh, Kyle, I would be Kyle Skinner. I would be interested to hear kind of your take on some of the the ways they talk about race in in Remember the Titans. Uh, not to jump too far ahead to a movie like Cool Runnings, but it's interesting that a comedy movie like Cool Runnings can address race relations in a more direct way than a dramatic movie like Remember the Titans. There's a moment in Remember the Titans where Gary's girlfriend or something like pulls up in a car when he's walking with one of his teammates downtown and the girlfriend's like, hey, we're going to somewhere. And Gary's like, 
he says something that's like really I don't even know what he's trying to say. It's like, oh, you know, sometimes you got to pick the ball up and run with it. You know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, you I, just like I wish say, I remembered say what what's he happening? said. Yeah, I wish I remembered what he said. I think it was more direct than that, but it was also very indirect. Right. So uh, I think one of the problems that Disney... One of the criticisms Disney is is met with a lot is like when Disney handles these topics that are a little bit more serious, uh, is that like is that okay for Disney to do? Like the, this is the Disneyfication of racism, and uh, I think there are some things that remember the Titans gets right about it, um, like the, some of the hostility that some of these people are met with, particularly Denzel Washington's character, the coach. Um, but at the same time, I can see the criticism here where like for a movie about race, the things like the soundtrack and things like the general like pacing of the movie and the vibe of the movie makes it feel sort of fun at the same time. And, and that kind of comes back to the first thing we said about this movie is like, this is a movie that gets shown in schools a lot. Like this is, uh, a movie I watched probably three or four times in, in middle school and maybe in like ninth grade or something. And I came from a very rural town with probably like 75% white kids, 24% uh, people of Latino heritage and like 1% African-American. And so this was a way I think for teachers in our school district to like introduce us to the concept of race. And is this the best? Is this the best way to do that? I, I'm not so sure about that, but, uh, you know, it, I guess that kind of is proof in the pudding that like, this is supposed to be like a watered down approachable way to start a conversation about race with children that maybe can't comprehend it yet. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it. That's, that's okay. exactly what it is. And it was regarded as such and celebrated as such. I mean, this film won a bunch of individual awards for Denzel um, within the like black media film award sphere, but also uh, as a film, including the most outstanding motion picture at the NAACP image awards. So like this was accepted and, and really favored within not only the black community, but seen as a film that was able to talk about race fairly directly. I mean, Denzel gives an entire speech about it, uh, as well as indirectly, which is how a lot of racism happens and does it successfully. Uh, there's this, this trope that I can't always get onto of like sports curing racism is not something that I always love to watch and see because I think it takes the, the importance of the teachings takes out the importance of like what is happening and applies it to this sports context that is not forever. The game is finite. It ends after the fourth quarter, but these relations will last forever. And so relating it to like, if they can get along on the field, we can get along in life is not something that I always like to see or subscribe to, but I think they talk about it in a really good way in this film. Y'all are going to have to remind me, um, is there like a big game that the Titans have to play or is it really just kind of like the Titans have to come together? And that's really like, that's the game. The game is off the field in this movie. No, 
Denzel can't lose a game or else he's going to get fired by the board is how it's set up. Okay. Um, and he comes in already as the underdog being not accepted by the community and is wanting to prove himself. And there's a moment in the middle of the film where his assistant coach kind of realizes that Denzel might only be winning for him. Uh, but at the same time, Denzel wants to win as a team because he says, I'm a winner. All I do is win. Uh, so the initial thing is like, Undefeated, he literally never lost, never lost. The initial motivation is like, if he loses a game, then the board is going to kick him out. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think ice princess is a, is a surprisingly good watch. I do think, um, Something that Remember the Titans does better than Ice Princess is some of the more physical aspects of the sport. Figure skating, very physical sport. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's a it's a grind. <laughs> the uh, they stopped doing like pickup hockey and stick time in most of the rinks in San Diego. Like wow. where I used to grow up play, playing hockey, the rink is gone. And then the place that I've been playing. More recently, all the stick times have been taken over by figure skating sessions, open figure wow. skating. It's like, it's crazy how much you have to figure skate to be good at it, sure. how much money you have to put into it. And, and that is really touched upon in Ice Princess, but like very, very lightly. I wish there was a little bit more of that kind of intensity uh, in a movie like um, I, Tanya. Kind of, kind of shows some of that kind of uh, difficult difficulties. I'm going with Remember the Titans. I think, I think uh, some of the football sequences are maybe a little bit lower stakes in some of those kind of like practice training camp uh, moments. But uh, overall, I think it's probably the better sports movie here. Yeah, it's definitely the better sports movie. I don't, I didn't find as much enjoyment out of Ice Princess as you did. I thought that it was just kind of a rinse and repeat of really any sort of rom-com in the mid-2000s where dorky girl does something that she isn't stacked up to do. Boy sees her doing that and likes her for who she is. Girl actually excels at thing that she wants to do. The people that didn't believe in her become her friends in the end. It, it feels like a trope that is just rinsed and repeated and this was just another one of that uh, i think that remember the titans is you know one of those true story disney films that we've come to recognize as a disney sports film and it's just a better one here in this matchup cal reeves were you gonna go ice princess no um <laughs> i mean if 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 the ranking was up to me uh Frankly, remember the Titans would be my number one. So, uh, no, I will not be uh, going with the Ice Princess here. But to its credit, I will say um, the the involvement of parents in youth sports and the way that this movie touches on that is very forward. Because that is something that, I mean, frankly, right now Disney is dealing with with Mighty Ducks Game Changers is parents involved right. in youth sports and taking it too seriously. So very, very ahead of its time in that regard. Um, but matching up against, I mean, the standard for, for Disney movies, uh, Disney sports movies, it's, uh, it's not much of a competition on this one. Totally. Let's move on to the next matchups. Number seven, invincible versus number 10 heavyweights. And right off the bat, I don't think that heavyweights is a sports movie. I'm going to say that right off the top. 
Summer, it, it, heavyweights it is, is a, a summer camp movie. Yeah, it That's has a sportsy. It has a sporty ending to it. Sporty ending and sporty middle, but like the story does not revolve around sports, and sports doesn't play a huge impact until maybe the very end. Uh, into they play the baseball at in all. it at some point, right? Yeah, just to show that there are a bunch of uncoordinated like rejects that they have to establish as in order to move along the storyline. Like it's it's a blip on the map of this camp film, summer camp film that is much more of the trope. It's kind of it's reminiscent of like the beginning of the Parent Trap. Uh, if you've ever seen the the film Camp Nowhere, this feels very much like that. All that's a Chris, shout out Christopher Lloyd. He's also in that one. Uh, it's I just don't see it. Also, uh, they dress as indigenous people at the end. Automatic DQ, baby. They're out. Yikes. They're out Yikes. of here. Uh, Invincible. I don't even like football, but Invincible is the better sports movie because I feel like it's an actual sports movie. <laughs> Uh, I'm with you. I had the exact same reaction. I was like, uh, yeah, this has a, a sporty ending for sure, but I don't, I don't think sports is the driving force here. It definitely feels more like a coming of age movie. Um, that's not to say like, this is an awful movie. I somewhat enjoyed it. I did find it fairly funny. Um, this is a Judd Apatow movie. Yep. This is a Judd Apatow, Paul Feig movie. Uh, who who did Freaks and Geeks and who would go on to do things like obviously Judd Apatow with Superbad. Paul Feig uh, did things like the first couple seasons of The Office, which are just uh, absolutely legendary. Um, and this was kind of like their first attempt at something, and it you know had had some mixed success. Yeah, it's a, a solid ensemble, I thought, with uh, the kid who plays Mike Carp in, in The Mighty Ducks as, as the lead kid. Uh, you got you got uh, our boy Goldberg, yeah, um, and you've got Keenan, uh, of course, showing up as well. I mean, I thought I thought it was it was it was fairly funny. I got a kick out of like the little British kid, and and I can't remember if it was him or the nerd kid, but uh, they all arrived to camp, and and the hero kid was like, "Yo, I brought some ding dongs, or I brought some Cheetos, or something." And they were like, "Oh, oh, you're so so bad." All right, everybody, like, whip them out or something like that. And uh, yeah. dude, we talked about Cheeto breath being like absolutely <laughs> disgusting on this on this podcast when we talk about food, but we have found a new grossest Disney food, um, and that is stomach chocolate. Yeah. English, um, melted English stomach chocolate. This kid lifts up his shirt and he's got melted chocolate all over his body. And one of the other kids like smears it off of him and eats it. Yep. And I was like, that is uh, really gross. Yep. That's really gross. The baseball scene, I did get somewhat of a kick out of, um, mostly because I just, for a brief moment, remembered uh, the American hero that was big Al and, and this heavyweight baseball team was basically a team of big Al's. Yeah. And, and I was just picturing all of the dingers that they could have been hitting in this moment. If they all just had the bat speed of big Al. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. We're the heavyweights and we hit dingers. That's it is what it is. Uh, no, I'm with you. I'm with you on invincible. Uh, I can't wait to talk about it because, uh, it was a movie I, I, I enjoyed. So, uh, Kyle Reeves, do you agree uh, with us in advance? 
seeing Invincible over Heavyweights here. Uh, I do, especially because Heavyweights really isn't much of a sports movie. Um, but I will give uh, just a quick shout out to Steve Brill, of course, wrote the Mighty Ducks movies, uh, also that, wrote that, this yeah. one. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So little shout out there. Uh, ducks fly together, but we can move forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on down. We've got number three, Cool Runnings versus number 14, Love Bug. It's another old movie Yep. that I had never seen before that I had to try to watch for this bracket. <laughs> and this was one that I did turn off. I'm not going to lie. Uh, um, Herbie, dude, Herbie was uh, an icon. Herbie was an American hero. Yes. This movie, The Love Bug, came out in 1968. And then he came out, Herbie Rides Again in 1974. Yep. Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo in 1977. And then... Herbie Goes Bananas let's in 1980. Go! <laughs> then you've got a, a, the first attempt at a reboot, The Love Bug in 1997, and then the Lindsay Lohan reboot, Herbie Fully Loaded in 2005. Herbie is like the leprechaun where you can just, you can just put him anywhere and you got a movie Herbie in space. Ship yep. it. Yep. 2024 coming to Disney plus. Why not? Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> I better not say it cause they might do it. Yeah. Uh, so not only do we have just like a lot of Herbie, uh, the love bug was the second highest grossing movie of 1969 behind Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. And yep. ahead of Midnight Cowboy, Hello Dolly, and Easy Rider. Yep. You have Crazy. you have four like legendary American films, and then you have the Love Bug. Hey, like, now. We, we we saw her we saw Herbie in the Fantasy on Parade at Disneyland for like thirty years. <laughs> Herbie would Herbie would roll down Main Street and pop his trunk and and do all kinds of hijinks. Uh, down the parade route. Uh, people had Herbie fever and it was crazy. This movie had a somewhat of an interesting cast. You've got uh, Carol Burnett, who was yep. an iconic comedian. You've got uh, Buddy Hackett, was the sidekick, who was the voice of Scuttle in The Little Mermaid. Yep. And of course, we've got David Tomlinson of Bedknobs and Broomsticks fame, right? Yeah, and don't forget Dean Jones. Oh, yeah, and Dean. And Dean. <laughs> yeah, who, is Dean wait, who is Dean? Who is Dean again? He was another legendary like 50s and 60s uh, actor at the time. Uh, he got a Golden Globe for uh, his role in uh, or he was nominated for Get Ready. So in the 50s and 60s, there is like throw out a wacky title and it's going to be made into a movie, including The Love Bug. Like here's a super wacky premise. And Dean Jones was very well known for taking up a lot of those. And so he got a Golden Globe nomination in the early 70s for a movie called The Million Dollar Duck. Mm. And this was just kind of who he was. He was like, he was in a lot of early 50 or late 50s movies with Frank Sinatra and was then in a ton of Disney 50s and 60s films. Mr. Banks. There is a, there is a Mr. Banks variant that, okay. that, did not quit his job at Dawes Tomes Mousley Grubs. Yep, I and and had the this same variant, exact thought. <laughs> this Mr. Banks variant invested in a car dealership five years later, and he's now gambling on cars. 
That's exactly what I had written down, is that this is alternate dimension, Mr. Banks. Uh, like, add that line to to the Fidelity Fiduciary Banks song. Yeah, exactly. Railways through Africa, gambling <laughs> on race cars. <laughs> this movie was awful. I hated this movie. Turned it off. Did not, did not relate to the hero at all. He kind of seemed a little bit slimy for me. And uh, don't really care about cars. I'm not like a huge cars guy either. Uh, I'm not sure if he wins the big race at the end of the movie, but I don't really care. Uh, this movie's <laughs> going up against Cool Runnings, which is one of my favorite movies ever made. Um, it's hilarious. It is memorable. It has heart. It has comedy. It has everything that I look for in any movie. Uh, the Cool Runnings crew, the Jamaican bobsled team, they were on our first ever bracket on Mouse Madness. They were, yep. they were the number 15 or 16 seed best Disney hero, and they're back on the show. Can't right. wait to talk about them next week because I'm hoping you agree with me, Kyle. No. I don't understand the hype around Cool Runnings, to be honest. Get- I never did. Wow. Never did. I don't think it's as good as people think it is. I think that it is way too gag-based. I think that it takes a lot of liberties and portraying the folks from Jamaica in that, you know, they are lesser and incompetent and they need a John Candy to bring them out into relevancy. It's not historically accurate whatsoever. They weren't it's going somewhat, for somewhat, they weren't going for accurate. no. They weren't going for a medal. They weren't going for anything. They were in twenty fifth of twenty six places when they crashed in that race and no they did not lift their bobsled to the finish line as heroes they walked alongside it as the ice team came and and skated it through the love bug is a false nostalgia movie that i absolutely adore yes they win the race at the end chris and you know how they do it herbie splits into two in order to take the dub at a photo finish over mr banks this is one of those like parent trap that darn cat Like there's these 60s movies that for whatever reason, I just really enjoy. And maybe it's because they're not as as gag heavy as the the 50s movies are, but they are just enough to hit that kind of sweet zone for me where it's almost endearing. And I find that in The Love Bug. I really (laughs) enjoyed it. Uh, I just to be that guy, I'm going to advance The Love Bug over Cool Runnings because I don't understand that Cool Runnings hype. But I already know what Kyle's going to do, so go ahead and do it to me. That was a valiant effort. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm moving Cool Runnings forward. And uh, I'm going to say some of my more some of my uh, my deeper arguments for later when, when it might be uh, a little more pressing and necessary. Um, but I think, frankly, I've been watching Cool Runnings for my entire life. And every time I watch it, I still pick up on something new that I didn't notice the time before that... Um, that makes me appreciate the movie more. Um, so yeah, we're moving core runnings forward. All right, let's head into our final matchup of this round of 16. It is the number six miracle versus the number 11 motocross. Now I remember watching motocross as a decom growing up and honestly, like upon rewatch pretty good. Like for a decom, I thought that it was like extremely well done. There's some decoms that can like, kind of get lost in their story and have a little bit too try to be a little too deep with it. But they were like very just like XYZ. This is what's going to happen. 
storyline is that you have a family of motocross enthusiasts who are in this motocross kind of circuit. Uh, the brother who is the golden child uh, gets hurt and the sister steps in and the sister is the better motocross racer. But this is a male dominated society and sport and it's frowned upon to have a girl race in the guys division of moto of motocross. And so she disguises herself as her brother, does the whole Mulan thing. It's just Mulan on dirt bikes. And there it is. She succeeds in the end. Everyone kind of accepts her. She comes out as being who she is and and life goes on. So I thought it was really well done. Motocrossed as a name doesn't quite hold up today. Yeah. Doesn't quite hold up, uh, especially with the play on words. But the film itself, I thought, was a very strong uh, decom because decoms can get bad. And this one I didn't think was. I thought it was super solid. Fortunately, it's up against Miracle. And Kyle, you had brought up that you thought that D2 had some of the best sports actions scenes in sports movies. Miracle is the best sports action movie of all time. Like they did it so accurately and so well to show the game of hockey. If you've lived under a rock, you don't know what Miracle is. It's about the 1980 team that won gold and beat Soviet Russia uh, in the in right before the medal round, uh, which was an unthinkable feat at the time, especially because they were a bunch of college kids when the U.S. team had really just been throwing NHL players into the Olympics. Basically it. Uh, it's based on a true story. And as I've said with other things, I go in and see how historically accurate things were. And this entry had a note at the top that said, this is considered one of the most historically accurate portrayals of a sports story. And it's true. I mean, it's, it's a, about a bunch, a team coming together, uh, with all of their geographical differences in the, in the world of hockey, you have the, the hard hitting coach who has a method to his madness. You have the, the coming out on top in the end and you have some incredible sports scenes. The, in the Russia game to start the second period, they do a puck drop that they cut out all sounds except for the puck hitting the ice and the sticks hitting each other. Goosebumps every single time. It is just phenomenal storytelling like that in that moment, nothing else mattered except for hockey. Like that's what they were focusing on. I just loved it. It is a stronger story, a more impactful story Love what Motocross did with DCOM, especially for a DCOM movie. Arguably, maybe a snub on the DCOM bracket, but uh, I'm going to go with Miracle here. Um, Motocross uh, filmed in Ramona, California. Let's go. Wow. Let's go. <laughs> I did not know this. I think I brought this up when we did our DCOMs episode. I did not know about this movie. We watched it and I was like, that mountain is behind uh, my house. I already know it. And I looked it up and I was right. So this this movie makes me feel at home. Sure. Like even like the shots outside these characters house in their front yard and stuff. It's like this is this is my home depicted in a movie. <laughs> the only time it's ever been done because no <laughs> one else would ever want to do that. Um so I I appreciate it for that reason. You mentioned Mulan I prefer William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night sure. as the 
is the reference. Sure, and sure, I think sure. that's why it works so well. It's like a copying a very tried and true format yes. for storytelling. Um, and it mixes in a lot of dramatic irony, which is, you know, this is a perfect example of like why I hate twists. I like the movie. <laughs> I like to experience the dramatic irony. The like one character knows something, we know something, and another character doesn't. I don't need to find out at the end of the movie that it was the sister the entire time. Right. Uh, so, so I appreciate them following that formula. Um, one thing we haven't really mentioned, uh, the lack of women in sports movies in the totally. Disney sports movie library. Totally. And it's a little bit, uh, healthier of a collection when it comes to decoms. Um, but certainly when it comes to these, like, theatrical release dramas and stuff like that there's just basically nothing right uh, and it's kind of surprising the more time goes by that they haven't really picked up anything like that um i know that they have a john stamos show like on disney plus now that's about a women's basketball team or a girls basketball team um but there's there's not a lot here on this bracket nope and Unfortunately, something that happens in motocross is that you sometimes lose the sports movie idea and it is overshadowed by the like girl power, girls can do what boys can do theme. Um, that's not that that doesn't belong in a sports movie. It's that one common thread in a good Disney sports movie, in my opinion, is a clear direction, which involves a clear big game that has to be played, um, and usually like a a big villain, uh, uh, the bad guy team, yep. Team Iceland, the Hawks, uh, the West German team, and Cool Runnings. You know, yep. That character is not introduced in motocross until like the last fifteen minutes of the movie. It's like right. this European guy or something who's kind of rude. So, unfortunately, I think that uh, I think about motocross as a sports movie slightly less than I do some of these other movies, um, which makes sense based on the time that it came out. You know, like that was still a, a, a very new concept for people. And, and at the time, I think this was a message that needed to be hammered home a little bit harder. Sure. We've got cameos by Mark McGrath and Travis Pastrana. <laughs> which I I always appreciate a good athlete cameo in a sports movie. There's not a lot of them, unfortunately. And and we get like two of the greatest motocross athletes ever in this random decom in Ramona, which is just, which is just great. Totally. Um, also like I'm not the first person in the world that goes straight to queer coding when it comes to like Disney movies, but this movie I'm, I'm inclined to, uh, the relationship between the kid on yeah. the green bike and yeah. the hero. Uh, yeah. it's really kind of fun to think about it in that way. It certainly totally. doesn't develop in a way that's meaningful in any way, nope. but, uh, I think you could definitely interpret it that way if you want to, which 100%. I think is fun for a D, which is fun for a decom. Yep. Absolutely. Ultimately, it's definitely a miracle. 
definitely miracle. Uh, I agree with your take that there are some really great hockey sequences on here. Um, and it's got everything I look for. It's got that common thread. It's got that underdog aspect. It's got the big bad at the end of the movie. Um, and it's got that little bit of magic that exists in any Disney movie. And I can't wait to talk more about that idea on the next episode. Uh, Kyle Reeves, do you agree with that final matchup? Uh, yes, absolutely. Miracles and like my top three Disney movies, Disney sports movies. So yes, move, move it on. All right. Well, we've got uh, our first round in the books in our best Disney sports movie bracket. We'll pick it up next week in the round of eight, where we've got the number one seed mighty ducks versus number eight, the rookie number 13 queen of Katwe versus number 12, the greatest game ever played number two. Remember the Titans versus number seven, invincible and number three, cool runnings versus number six miracle. Uh, Kyle Reeves, thank you so much for joining us this week, and we look forward to crowning a winner next week. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, to wrapping this up. All right, everyone. Well, you know how to reach us. You got something to say about these sports movies? Did we get something wrong? Did we uh, miss a sports movie? Uh, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Discord. All of those are linked in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, Head over to patreon.com slash mousemadness and join us at the $5 level and become a member of Jerry's Game. Until next week, folks. Again! 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 Did I nail it? Did I nail that? Yeah, I had no idea that you could whistle like that. <laughs>